Hi there, and thanks for joining me, Gary Turner, your host on the Value Through Vulnerability platform. Uh, today, I bring you another Have Courage conversation, this time with the superb and inspiring Heather Hansen-Wickman. Um, Heather kindly joined me on the Have Courage Summit earlier this year. Um, not only does she have her own consulting company uh, called Untethered Consulting, she has also written a really awesome book called The Evolved Executive, which is really futuristic. Um, and definitely right for its time around um, yeah, being, being much more conscious uh, as a leader. Heather's on a mission to awake the soul of leaders and organisations. And three of the major takeaways I took from our conversation, um, and this one won't surprise you, is that practising vulnerability is important. It's like a muscle. Um, another point that um, Heather shared that resonated so much with me was that it's so important that we remove more of our work masks. And then she also spoke about the importance and link between self-compassion and vulnerability. So a really rich, deeply human conversation um, that Heather and I had um, on this occasion. You'll be able to find Heather's contact details. and I recommend strongly that you do connect with her um, via the range of mediums that she is available. You can find those contact details within the show notes or within the free Have Courage ebook. You'll also find that um, link within the show notes, which includes 23 um, embedded interviews and all of these range of different takeaways all 69 of them that resonated with me and yeah if anything resonates with you we'd be really appreciative if you'd share on social media or indeed if you share with us directly what impacted you what resonates with you what challenged your thinking or indeed what would you challenge we'd love to hear from you and until the next conversation thank you so much for joining us welcome to the have courage get out of your own way and unleash the potential of the inner you summit I'm the, your host, Gary Turner, and today I'm really grateful to welcome Heather Hanson-Wickham to our discussion. How are you, Heather? I am well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, lovely. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Just as a, a bit of an overview for our listeners and the people that may be viewing us today. So Heather has a Bachelor in Human Resource Development, a Master's in Human Resource and Industrial Relations, and also a PhD in Organizational Systems. Now, that's something I want to explore with you. PhD in organizational <laughs> systems. What, what, does, what does that mean? What, what's, that, what's your thesis? What's your dissertation around that, Heather? Yeah. So I will back up and say PhD is an acronym for permanent head damage more than anything else. And so I like to think of that as my, my little journey through education. But um, organizational systems is really about how do we organize human systems in a way to, you know, our highest good. And so organizations as in corporations and small businesses, medium-sized businesses are the way in which we do that. But my dissertation was on high-performing teams. So physician-led specifically. So it was a kind of a niche area where in the U.S. here, more and more healthcare is being led by physicians and physicians are not trained at all how to be good leaders. And so my dissertation kind of dove deep into how do we help leaders create really high-performing teams and, or excuse me, how do we help physicians create really high-performing teams and organizations? Oh, awesome. Well, was, healthcare <laughs> always, um, was healthcare always a sort of desired sector for you to go into for some reason? Or was that, did you just sort of land in healthcare out of interest? You know, I, I, maybe a little bit of both. I think I landed in healthcare. It's the first industry that I started in. And from a very core place, it aligns with my values. I mean, healthcare is touching people as they come into this world and as they're going out into this world. And when we think about courage and vulnerability, uh, healthcare touches people at those points in their lives. And so 
just from a kind of a core bean perspective, healthcare is a meaningful industry for me, much more than like maybe financial services or something like that. Um, but now in my practice, it's definitely broadened beyond just healthcare as an industry, but um, I tend to get a lot of those clients because it's the industry that I know best. Okay. So in terms of sort of untethered consulting, which is, which is your business, um, how long have you been going uh, with, that, with, with, uh, with Untethered how, and how's that going for you? Yeah, so we just crossed our, our third birthday. Wow. So it's, you know, relatively new. I, I definitely still in its infancy and every year it seems to go through a pretty massive evolution in terms of, you know, my, my targets and what I'm going for and even how I'm working with different people. And so as we jump into 2019, I imagine it will continue to evolve. Oh, brilliant. I'm guessing, you know, in line with the theme of this, this summit, Heather, I'm guessing it took a certain amount of courage to jump from where you were at to setting up your own practice. Do you mind speaking about that a little bit? <laughs> You're absolutely right. And I, before I jumped, I wouldn't have said I, I would have had the courage to do so. Um, I'm a pretty risk adverse individual growing up. Um, if you're familiar with some of the assessments out there, I do some work with the Hogan assessments and it has a category on cautiousness. <laughs> and I'm like a 99 out of 100 in cautiousness. So really pretty risk adverse in, in so many areas of my life. Um, but it got to a point where, you know, you and I have talked about this, where something just rises in you to a point where you're like, there's, there's too much incoherence in, in how I want to operate in this world. And the, the career that I was leading that it reached a breaking point where I didn't really feel I had a choice. And so, well, I'd like to say I had a, a ton of courage to make this bold leap into a brand new world. It kind of showed up and gave me a swift kick in the butt and said, you're on a new journey here. And I didn't fight it. I think that was the, the biggest uh, step for me was kind of sitting with that feeling and just following the feeling versus what my normal kind of psyche would have done was put my head down and just work harder and say, well, every job has its parts that you just don't like to do. But this was something different. Um, and my sense is that you resonate with that as well and that it does take courage. And um, I think it also is a matter of timing. It just hit me at a time when I had enough in me to say, I got to do something different and I'm ready today. Do you think there was um, anything that would have stopped you making that move? Was it just so compelling for you? Was there anything that you sort of, did you get out, were you inside your own head sort of saying, you really shouldn't be doing this, Heather? Was there any of that sort of self-doubt between <laughs> making the jump? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I, I lovingly refer to those voices as my minions. So if you've seen some of the the minion movies, there's all these different characters and I, and I almost envision them like just on my shoulders and you, I've got these snarky minions, <laughs> these minions that are crazy scared not to take a risk and then crazy rebel minions. Uh, and I know that sounds a little bizarre, but I think we all have so many aspects of our personality that show up in different times of our lives. And I absolutely had those, those voices that said, well, who are you to take this jump and be an entrepreneur? Like you have never done anything like that in your life. You have trained your entire career to climb the corporate ladder. Um, you know, why would you think you're going to be successful? Um, and even making that jump, I didn't have good, a good gauge on what success would look like. And so I was kind of driving a little bit blind and even today it looks differently. 
Um, so there were a lot of voices urging me to stay and to do the status quo and my friends and family included, you know, they're like, Heather, you're crazy. This is exactly the path that you've designed for yourself. Why are you jumping now? <laughs> and you know, those are moments I think when you have to, I think a lot of courage and vulnerability comes from, you know, your heart space, your, your intuition space versus your head space. Cause my head, would have talked me out of that decision every day of the week where my heart, my, in, my intuition, my inner knowing was like, you, you know what you need to do. So just take the next step, just take the next step. And that's the voice and the, the knowledge that I'm trying to move with today versus all of the knowledge up in my head, which is a little warped. <laughs> <laughs> Just, there's been quite some debates that I've been involved in on social media the last week, actually, where I've been, I'm, I'm quite a big pro, pro, um, proponent for trusting that gut. And I, I kept trying to think back to myself, Heather, is there been once in my 42 years on this planet when my gut wasn't actually right, generally? Yeah. Of course, you can yeah. look at it. And there's not once. There's not once I can look back and think there wasn't a lot of, let like you say, knowledge in that feeling yeah. at that moment. Uh, absolutely. And I think my challenge there, my ongoing learning there is to recognize it. I, I've been so trained to academically and just in my own success, my own success has often been um, fueled by my knowledge, right? My, my aptitude, my competence, where that's my first go-to. And it's been almost this retraining of kind of more alignment with what is my gut saying? What is my heart saying in alignment with my head? And now to your point, really trying to rely on the knowing like here and below <laughs> first and then checking in with my head after that. So I would agree. I'm sure I've made some silly gut decisions at some point in my life, but far, far more, um, far better decisions down there than always up in my head. What I'd like to explore a little bit with you as well on this um, on this call for people that are, that are watching our chat today, Heather, is you've, you've released a, a brilliant book, um, The Evolved Executive, which I think actually transcends work and actually is very helpful for individuals as well to try and sort of get, get past their own fears. Yeah. Speak a little bit about what was your inspiration for that book? Where did that come from um, for, for you, that particular book? Yeah, well, thank you uh, for saying that. And it's been kind of this labor of love for many, many years, and it's uh, finally came into fruition this year. So it came from, I, uh, along this conversation, this deep knowing that work can be a place that is fulfilling and, and meaningful and joyful and I would say filled with love. And when I talk about love, people tend to get freaked out because love has a lot of baggage and I get that. And at the end of the day, love for me is about freedom and autonomy. It's about connection, which is a lot about vulnerability. And it's about the absence of fear or at least the limiting fears that hold us back. And so when I you know, went through kind of my corporate crack, so after I climbed to a point in my corporate career and said, I can't do this anymore. And I jumped out on a different path and took some time to heal. In that healing process, I came to realize that we are in just a desperate need of leaders and organizations to operate in a different way, in, a, in an entirely new paradigm. And we are not equipped to do so because we are programmed and socialized to think that when we get to work and when we lead 
organization. It needs to be a top-down kind of hierarchy. It needs to be command and control. I need to be the boss and tell you what to do. And that's just how we've been kind of trained through the industrial revolution, all these different kind of shifts and eras. And I think we are on the cusp of another era here. And I'm hoping that that era is based in humanness, in this idea that we can be human and bring our true selves to work. And it was only in that pause when I got out of corporate America and before I really dove into the work that I'm doing today that I became really clear that I said, okay, it's, if we want to change organizations, we have to begin with within. And if we want to begin within, we need to begin to evolve. And for most of my work, that evolution happens within executives. So individuals leading organizations that have the biggest impact. So that's kind of how it all came together. The idea that we need to evolve. And my hope is that we evolve toward love and not toward fear. Oh, brilliant. In, in, in terms of that work you're doing with, with some of these senior leaders, what, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing today? Um, if you were going to pick two or three key themes, what, what do they look like for, for senior leaders trying to move from maybe this traditional fear base to, to a more yeah. love-based uh, system of leadership? You know, I think there's, um, there's human obstacles and then there's systems obstacles. And so I'll talk about the systems obstacles first, just because it's a little easier and I'll speak from the U.S. because I don't have a ton of experience abroad. So from a U.S. perspective, um, we have a very competitive environment. And so organizations competing with each other, individuals competing with, with each other inside organizations. And even to the point where, you know, when you're on a tight team, people are, you know, kind of stabbing people in the back or throwing people under the bus to make sure that they look good to their superiors or that they are perceived to have the answer or have the competence. And so there's these systems dynamics of competition and kind of hoarding information that really hamper us or limit our ability to kind of move into a place of love or a place of collaboration. But then there's all sorts of um, human obstacles that we run into, myself included, in moving past our own um, kind of barriers to love. And I think this conversation is so valid from a perspective of it takes tremendous courage and vulnerability to say, I'm going to take my shield down and be really honest. This is who I am. This is how I can contribute. This is where I need help. This is where I don't have the answers. Um, even from a perspective of letting your colleagues get to know you as a person. And so I, a lot of folks that I work with, they know their colleagues from a collegial perspective, but they don't know about their kids, their families, their lives, their interests out of work. And so there's these you know, protection mechanisms that we put into place when we come to work that I think shut off our ability to really be vulnerable and connect with people in a way that I think would give us so much greater fulfillment in the work we do. Mm. And the only other one that I would mention is just our fear of change. You know, we're so accustomed to how we've operated that it's, we've, we've got some early adopters who are doing incredible work. And I think you're talking to so many of them paving the path of what it looks like to create really human cultures and human connections through work. And 
I think we need more of that for people to see that it's okay and that it actually leads to more success, not less success. And so I think it's also a matter of just that kind of early adopter idea of we don't have many people to model this behavior yet. And, you know, hopefully as the years go on and as our work continues, more and more people will, will get a chance to experience that. No, that's, that's wonderful. I, I use this analogy of the handbrake at the moment, which is it's almost like we've come out of this 20th century. Understand, you know, we've done very well, you know, as a society, you know, okay, right. between rich and poor has got a bit wider, that's not good. But fundamentally, it's almost like we put on this big brake to say, hey, we've gone too far. You know, there are human beings in these, <laughs> in these, um, in these um, systems, yeah. it's not actually just robots. And I think it's really ironic for me, at a time of the robots for more automation, we're now looking at them going, Hey, they look a lot like me. This is worrying. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Absolutely. In, in terms of some of the bigger challenges that people face, you've sort of, we spoke about, you know, a couple of the things that you're seeing when you're working with leaders. What do you see as the bridges or maybe sort of, what a couple of your recommended steps for people to move from a more fear-based to a more freedom-based or a more love-based system? Yeah. Is there some small steps yeah. that you can take or sort of experiment with to, to try and get there? Yeah. So, you know, the thing that I would say is self-awareness seems to be the biggest bridge from where leaders are operating from a place, place of fear to moving to a place of love or freedom. And self-awareness can happen in so many different ways. And folks can do that through, you know, journaling exercises. If they're running through situations at work that tends to trigger them, those are the best scenarios to kind of dive in inward and say why is this situation really causing a problem for me because more often than not those situations are mirroring our own belief systems back to us um, so self-awareness i think is a tricky thing and i've only pondered this um kind of i'm going to bounce this off of you to see what your thoughts are so self-awareness is this this can be this small thing to work towards in a very incremental manner and it can be this huge thing but I think there needs to be two things in place before we can actually get to a place of true self-awareness. And that is some vulnerability. So being okay to expose ourselves, even to ourselves. So really look at ourselves and how we're showing up. But it also takes an incredible amount of like self-love or self-compassion. And I don't think that's something that we talk much about at work. Um, this whole idea of self-love because of its connotations around selfishness. Um, when in fact, I think we have to be okay with being imperfect and having flaws and, you know, being beautifully broken in whatever ways we are to be able to open the door to seeing ourselves as we show up in, in the day-to-day -day world. And so I know I, I went around your question there a little bit, but one of the bridges I see is, is self-awareness. And like I said, journaling is a good opp opportunity, getting feedback from your peers, working with a coach, so many different ways to get self-awareness. But I think there's also some, some inner work around being okay with, with me, just being okay with me, however I show up in that moment, um, to be able to begin moving through that process. So, yeah, I'm just kind of bouncing that idea first off of you, and I'd be curious of your thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I, it resonates with me personally, to be honest, because the self-awareness piece, absolutely. It, you yeah. know, we can see it with Daniel Goleman and other sort of researchers. Absolutely. There's a very clear trend towards that. But I think for me, the challenge there, and again, back to having courage, that the theme of this summit is around actively wanting 
and vulnerably wanting feedback. And I think yeah. that's the big challenge as well is because we, we, we innately believe because performance systems are so poor that it's yeah. always going to be negative. So I think there's something about the feedback mechanism and then back to that self-love piece, 100%. So I had a mental health challenge. We spoke about this in the past. Yeah. So I overthought my way because I said to myself, yeah. Gary, you're not good enough. You'll never be successful. You know, yeah. I sent myself down this trail for six months in 2016 that I went bang. So that's because I didn't love myself enough. I didn't believe I was okay. I needed something yeah. external to validate Gary being good enough. Whereas now yeah. I'm in a position to say, I accept who I am and I'm okay. And I'm all right with that. But that took me two years to get to. And an oh. awareness that I needed to even start the journey. Coming, coming to your point, I think. Yeah. And I, it's probably going to be a lifetime journey, I imagine, for all of us. Because I, I see myself in that story as well. Um, having moments where we don't, step into our own power or step into our own truth because we don't think that we're good enough or not worth it or don't have enough, whatever it might be to actually put yourself out there. Um, so absolutely. And one thing that you mentioned about feedback, I think is so real within organizations. It's this, this idea of feedback is, is something that a lot of organizations like to say they're good at, like, Oh, we're a feedback rich organization, whatever it might be when you actually get in and look at that, it's just, it's so sad because feedback might happen one way. So a boss to a direct report, maybe often, maybe harshly. Um, but rarely is it this kind of continuous cycle. I think in deliberately developmental organizations, we're seeing more and more of that happen. But I've seen as individuals move up in an organization, so move higher into roles of maybe senior leaders, executives, the less truthful feedback they get and give. It's this crazy situation that people are afraid to give them really honest feedback for fear of whether retribution, um, looking bad, whatever it might be. And then fear also of being really honest back to your direct reports for fear of being too harsh, whatever it might be. But we've got a broken dynamic there in the feedback system where I think in the middle of this courage and vulnerability conversation is also trust and having trust in these relationships at work, being able to extend trust and receive trust is I think one of those ingredients that we really need to pay attention to in order to improve communication, improve courage at work, improve innovation, so many different things. Um, so I couldn't agree with you more. Mm, I, I love your comment about the trust piece as well, actually. I've been researching quite a lot on that at the moment. And these, these four key elements around predictability, ability, compassion, and integrity. And it's really interesting because I looked at myself, um, to, again, back when I had my mental health challenge two years ago, and I thought it was all the outside world. And what I realized on reflection, Heather, was actually I was quite unpredictable. So I was quite mm -hmm. volatile. I was quite frustrated. I didn't feel I was good enough. And that manifested itself as erratic Gary bouncing up and down yeah. all over the place. And what I now know yeah. to be true is outside, people probably saw me and thought, can I trust this guy? Because he's mm -hmm. so unpredictable. And because predictability is a key part of trust, I was like, ah, okay. So I think your trust point is really helpful. Yeah, yeah. And, and so applicable to organizations and, and creating a, a more humane workplace because I think that's so true in, in leaders being so unpredictable. Am I going to see, you know, our, our happy-go-lucky leader today or am I going to see my tyrant leader today? And every moment where there's those ebbs and flows, we lose precious trust resources. 
it's really powerful it's really powerful because uh, again the, the other the other stall to this this conversation we're having is around unleashing the potential of the interview <laughs> and i think what we're talking about here is it comes back to how you started our conversation actually which is this this mix of systemic how is the culture how does the system operate and actually how are you going to show up as yourself and that's mm -hmm. quite an interesting dichotomy isn't it yeah <laughs> oftentimes they're <laughs> in opposing forces that's really, really, really fascinating. I'm just sort of joining those dots as we speak, actually. So if, if you're going to say to anybody that's watching us now, you know, here's a couple of things that might be worth trying to really allow yourself to step into that vulnerability, to truly, you know, just, just try and be you a bit more. Go first. Is there anything you'd recommend? Is there something that you talk about with your, your clients or, or, or your network at all? Yeah, you, um, absolutely. And I'm interested in your opinion here too, because I think this is a new emerging space, but I, I, I feel that there is some, some sacredness around vulnerability. And I don't often promote folks to just like open it all up and be vulnerable with everyone and anyone in any situation. And so I ask folks to, to almost do a little bit of an inventory around vulnerability in terms of if they're just moving into this path you know, moving into this space for the first time, you know, where are the parts of you that you feel okay being vulnerable and who do you feel okay sharing that vulnerability with? And I'm always really hoping that folks have somewhat of a safe space around them to begin trying to expand in this space. Um, more often than not, they have a few core colleagues or a few friends that they can dive into with. And I encourage them to even say, you know, my crazy coach, is asking me to experiment a little bit with vulnerability. You know, so they have a little bit of a disclaimer around, I'm trying something new. And so begin to have this kind of coalition collaboration around vulnerability and begin to start sharing little things, whether it be, you know, I had this work assignment and I really didn't know where to start and I didn't have any idea what the answer was and I don't know what to do next. And so having this place where individuals can kind of come together and be really real and share and be able to provide feedback and resources in a way that doesn't happen in most traditional organizations. So the first thing that I would advise is, you know, um, find a way to start that feels real for you with a group of people that feel safe and then begin to expand that in a way that feels that it honors who you are. Because I, I do feel like there is um, a great opportunity to get burned and get harmed as we begin to move into this space and to have a little bit of thoughtfulness around how do I personally want to move into this space, knowing that my desire to be more vulnerable is in service of a greater good. Um, so that's kind of where I start. Um, and then oftentimes I'm working with leaders to give them ideas around well, what does it look like to be vulnerable? I think we're so programmed to not have any vulnerability show up for us at work that it's these little things. So it's asking for help. It's, you know, sitting down for five minutes and talking to your coworker about something other than work. It's telling the truth when you don't know what to do. It's, you know, when, all sorts of blame is coming out, being the first one to say, you know, hey, we don't know what happened here. There's no one to blame. And, you know, kind of just diffusing some of these situations. So mm. vulnerability is a huge one. Um, and 
you know, you, you know this as well, that courage is on the, uh, on the opposite side of that in terms of it takes a huge amount of personal will to be able to move into those new conversations. And that courage, I find, is um, almost remembered within people. Like, I find my work is helping people find and remember the courage that they already have. And it's tapping into some of those core beliefs around, I am here to serve the greater good. And that gives people courage. Or I am here to help these people learn and grow and help myself learn and grow. And so it's finding those beliefs and those kind of more intrinsic goals to give people that remembrance of, I know this is going to be hard. I know I have to take a stand. I'm going to stand in my own truth and here I'm going to do it. That's wonderful. So, so look, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think as we, as we come to the end of our conversation, Heather, you very kindly for anyone that subscribes to this summit have offered a, a, a free gift around your mini course. Would you mind just explaining a little bit about that? As a, I think this is one way people can start to step into some of this space. Absolutely. And so as the book launched, I had a lot of questions from folks in terms of, well, how do I dive a little bit deeper? And so this was the response into that question. So it is based on the book's content, but over the course of five weeks, I provide some in-depth exercises, examples, and some case studies for folks to kind of dive a little bit deeper into these areas of I want to evolve as a leader, but I'm not sure how. And so it's kind of that in-between step of, I don't know what to do, but I'm not ready for a coach. Here, let me try a little self-discovery myself. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you for being so generous with that. And uh, any of you um, listeners or, or viewers, please, uh, please go out and download that because uh, that'll be great. And look, thank you so much for your time today, Heather. Thank you as well, Gary. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.